Welcome back to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. Scene to Song now has a Patreon if you are moved to contribute. And don't forget to rate and review Scene to Song on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. It really helps. My guest today is Alana Kresh. Alana is a New York-based actor and comedian. She loves performing and writing whenever she can, particularly in comedic projects. She has been most recently seen in Girls Who Walked on Glass and Gemini. We're going to talk today about the Julie Stein, Bob Merrill, and Isabel Leonard musical, Funny Girl. Ilana, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Shoshana. So before we go into our topic, we're going to get started Mm -hmm. with our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical? So, I mean, I think the answer that probably most of the United States has was mine. um, And that was probably The Wizard of Oz. Okay. But for for the sake of of this podcast, I'm going to talk about actually two uh, musical movies because I saw musical movies before I ever went to the theater um, around the same time. And that was when I was five. And uh, one is Funny Girl, which we will be talking about today but uh but my other experience was with the movie uh Gigi and so (laughs) I remember being like five and I would have friends that I grew up with on my block or friends come over for a play date and I and I you know as a five-year-old say do you want to watch funny girl or Gigi and they were like what (laughs) no I want to watch batteries not included or whatever 80s movie was out on you know video so I guess in both of those situations uh yeah those were my first real musical experiences big lavish musicals with strong female leads nice well I'm excited to talk about funny girl soon but uh before that what is the last great musical you saw I saw a really wonderful musical uh, a few weeks ago, actually, off-Broadway. And it was uh, the um, the musical version of Sarah Silverman's book, The Bedwetter. And that was brilliant because it was so funny, uh, but it also tackled the um, the issue of depression that Sarah Silverman really went through as a, as a child um, when she was bedwetter. But it, it was so brilliant because you were still laughing watching this story. You know, it was so accurate and the performances were so wonderful. Cool. What is a musical people would be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? I really love um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Um, and I think think people would be surprised because it's not a musical I think I would have sought out. Um, my friend, when it was on Broadway, was working for one of the um, casting agencies uh, affiliated with it, and she got comps. And so I, and she was like, if you want to come, I said, of course. So I went, and I thought it was so funny. It was so smart. Uh, I think a lot of the, the numbers in it don't get enough, you know, playtime on Sirius XM or, you know, really in the Broadway community. I don't think people talk a lot about how great the number Here I Am is or um, 
I'm forgetting the name of Norbert Leo Butz's big number. Oh, great big stuff. Right. His, his number. It's just, uh, it's so funny. It's so smart. And I had never seen the movie. I'm saying, I think people would be surprised because so to me, I think dirty rotten scoundrels, right. Was always a, like in the boy movie category. Not that I wouldn't see it. I just wouldn't have thought to, you know, rent right. a blockbuster in the nineties or something. So, uh, so yeah. So I, I think that's, that's the one that's a surprising answer for me. Cool. Who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist? Such a, such a good question. Okay. I don't think, at least for me, it's impossible not to love the character of, uh, of, uh, you know, Mama Rose and Gypsy. Um, mm -hmm. and she is the protagonist and, but she could be argued as antagonist, I'm sure for some people, especially if you find out things about her real life. Um, I just, you know, it's, it, she's such a, a powerhouse and, um, I, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's one of my favorites for sure. I have so many, uh, but, but I'm going to say that's one that's sort of, you know, lasting. I mean, I also love, um, uh, the Baker's wife in Into the Woods, just because I think, you know, because there's been so many incarnations of the show. It's such a well-written show yeah. that the fact that I can go in and see different people play the role and get walk away every time with, with them doing something different and me feeling differently about the character and, you know, either, uh, direction, I feel like is a testament to, to the role. And then for antagonist, okay, so I have two answers, because I'm famous for two answers. So one is Baroness Schrader in The Sound of Music, okay, mm -hmm. um, because she, you're not supposed to like her, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, her, um, uh, you know, the, the reason she splits up with Captain Von Trapp, you know, is different from, uh, the show and the movie mm -hmm. in the, in the movie, it's because she, you know, as much as you look at her and you, and you're like, Oh, she's in the way. I don't like her, you know, get her out of this story. Um, I think, uh, she, she does the right thing in the end, you know, she bows out and she does try to sabotage them getting together and then realizes I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to step away. Uh, but she's so fabulous and glamorous at the same time. So that's why I like her. And in the show, she shares, I think, two numbers with uh, her uh, her Weiler with Max. Uh, so, um, and uh, and unfortunately, in the show, you know, they they do split up because of differing opinions on the impending war that's going to be coming. And I would have. I lived in that time, obviously, sided with Captain Von Trapp and, and his family. Um, but, you know, so they split up for different reasons. Um, but she is much funnier in that show, uh, I, I find. She really has very, I, I think there's a particular line where, you know, the children all uh, sing to her and then they come up to her afterward and she wants to thank them. And I think her first line or one of her first lines is, I don't know any of your names. Like, it's just, it's just like, so funny. So, uh, so, so I, I think her, and then my second answer is, um, I would say the comedic one is, uh, Vera Charles in Mame, mm -hmm. because she and Mame are, uh, don't talk for a good chunk of the show. Uh, and, uh, their friendship is on the rocks and that's, uh, but when they get back together as friends and bosom buddies, you know, that's their reconciliation. Uh, and she's just, you know, so funny and smart and, uh, you know, does all the wrong things, but you still can't help but, but love her. And also it doesn't hurt that somebody like B. Arthur originated the role and uh, did a wonderful job in the show and the movie. Um, what is your favorite musical that no one has heard of? I, I really like the show I Love My Wife. 
Um, I think uh, the music is wonderful. I think most people really only know the title song from it. Um, but there is so much wonderful music that comes out of it. And um, I love it because it's very um, emblematic of that time. It's a very 70s show. There's great songs for everybody. Um, it will make you laugh. And the, musicals, uh, the, musical, the music is, is really wonderful. It's like Holman. So it's really great show. And uh, what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think mm -hmm. was possible to get to? So I have two, of course. So um, I, I really love um, at the end of Aida, these two people who are the same two actors see each other like in the museum right near it and they don't speak. They are about to talk to each other and there's this moment of like recognition and almost talking and the play just ends. And it's like, you know, they're going to be united and there's no words. And the story has built up so beautifully to that point that, um, you know, they don't even have to speak. It's just this wonderful moment of, of tension in the theater. And it just comes together so beautifully. I love that. Um, my other one was actually uh, within uh, Gypsy in Rose's turn when uh, Rose has a full, you know, meltdown, uh, essentially. And she goes into that moment where she... Um, has that flashback and she starts saying mama mama in the middle of the of the flashback so it, it's funny because they they hint uh they hint that her mother was not around you know that her father brings it up you know earlier with you know you, you ain't getting 80 it sense for me rose you know that old thing but um but you don't know the story really and you don't know what kind of pain has driven this character we can guess we can put pieces together but we don't really know cool well let's move on to our topic where we'll really get to talk about funny girl that we alluded to previously but um so yeah we're going to talk about the show but specifically looking at the characterization of fanny versus mm -hmm. the real person because this show is based on a real person um and i guess with bio musicals it's um, kind of you can watch the show without knowing anything about the person. And then that's just the character or you can have you can really like get into the history of char the character, uh, who the character is based on. Well, let's start with your history with the musical uh, before we get into the Fanny Bryce history and just talk about, I guess, for both of us, like what our what our history is with the <laughs> with the show. Oh, you have do you have history with it also? Well, I just yeah. Well, I I mainly wanted to mention that this actually never was a big show for me, uh, which is like I guess surprising because like I'm a Jewish girl who was always performing as a kid, and you know, right, um, right. But I like I I never saw a production of it. Um, there was never, never one around. My mom saw the original with Barbara Streisand and talks about it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> my god I'm so jealous of your mom it's like insane I can't yeah I don't think I've, I had ever seen the whole movie I remember watching it you know as a kid and like getting like maybe a few scenes in and then stopping and re-watching it now um I wonder if like I was I remember being really into like her performing but then when she gets into the whole relationship with Nick, I think my younger self was like, all right, I'm not interested in this anymore. Right, um, right. Which we can talk about more too as, as when we talk about the show. But I, yeah. But so, yeah, I, but I did see the recent revival and that kind of 
you know, got me, you know, thinking a lot about the show and, um, and, you know, I'm rewatching the, the move well watching the movie <laughs> for the first time right. I guess, since I never yeah. saw the whole thing to me this movie is probably the sole reason or at least the catalyst why I wanted to act and be on stage um I was five I just was enamored I um I just wanted to be on stage, you know, so badly after I saw it. I just identified so much with this character. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I knew I was Jewish. You know, I was five, but I knew I was Jewish. I loved the character. I loved that she was funny. I identified with her because she was a Jewish New Yorker. Um, I, I, lo- I, I loved the love story, um, you know, um, from a young age. I, I just remember feeling like, I remember even as a teenager still thinking, you know, this this has to be me. This is just, I, I just, I understand her. I get her. But the, it, was, it was really the, the, the movie that inspired everything for me. And I have, you know, followed the history of the movie and the show mm-hmm. for years. Um, some of it was, you know, um, seminars I've gone to. Um, but I also spent hours and hours in the um, New York Public Library at Lincoln Center um, be, um, you know, the, you know, the performing arts one. And, um, there are not only, uh, there are, are tape recordings actually that you can hear of the actual, you know, Fanny Bryce, um, talking, but what was so remarkable and interesting to me was there were these papers that essentially, uh, when they were interviewing Fanny Bryce to put together the musical, these are the papers that they took this from and it's the actual interview with her. And I took my iPhone and I took a picture of every single page, obviously, so that I could, so I have the whole thing on my computer. And so you're hearing her real words. Um, And actually where my parents live right now in Long Island is not far from where her house, uh, her real house was the one that they base uh, uh, off of in the movie that they move into uh, and in the show that they, when they move into the big house together, uh, I, I drive by the real house sometimes. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual person of Fanny Bryce. And I guess like how much is, is in the show, like how much did the show take that is, is real mm-hmm. um, from her life? So for, for the real Fanny Bryce, so she was born, um, uh, she was one of four children. Her real name was Fania Borak, B-O-R-A-C-H. Um, and they called her Fanny for short because her full name was F-A-N-I-A. Um, and uh, interestingly, conversely to the show, she and her family did grow up with some money. They weren't really well off, but the show really, you know, makes it look like she was part of the, you know, the little shtetls that were on the Lower East Side. Uh, a lot of my family lived there then. You know, I don't know if some of, of yours did too, but um, that was, you know, but the whole uh, thinking of Henry Street and all of that, that was never really her life. Um, but I, it worked better for the show. But um, anyway, so she, she grew up uh, one of four children. Her parents uh, separated when she was pretty young. She really loved her father. Um, and, but he would not come by a lot and he was coming by less and less and he would bring her gifts and she started to kind of ignore him. Uh, and it's very interesting because in her personal papers, there is such a strong emphasis on her not being too vulnerable. She really gets upset at the notion of people crying. 
She even talks about when her mother died that she called her sister on the phone, her sister Carolyn, and she said, I don't want to see one tear from you at the funeral. Not in like a mean way, not in like a, you know, she wasn't like a domineering, you know, horrible person. I think she, I, you know, her, her early life, you know, she had this, I think, you know, this father that left, she never really knew what to do with it. Um, and I think that sort of, she went into this like protective mechanism. So, but she was very, yeah, very, very serious about making jokes about a lot of things, you know, never really letting, getting anybody too close to her, uh, which I do think is carried through quite thoroughly, uh, in, in the play, you know, there's a lot of, uh, defense mechanisms to be funny. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's very, that I thought was very interesting. So she, um, so she starts working uh, um, in uh, you know small circuits in Brooklyn. She um, she would be in talent contests, and then um, and then she got seen and uh, picked up by you know Ziegfeld. She started off not really knowing what her identity was, and um, then realized that using her Jewish identity and her comedic talents was really going to be you know, the way that, that people were going to, to like her. And then she became this huge draw. And she did actually do a lot of serious work. You know, the song, My Man, which is in the movie and not in the play, uh, for those who don't know, uh, um, was a, a, an authentically a Fanny Bryce song. Um, it was actually a song that was uh, a French song first. And it was uh, very risque, actually. They had to change, some, uh, for the era, they had to change a lot of the lyrics um, to, so that she could play it, you know, in New York. Um, because it was, it was, it was uh, like sexually suggestive at, you know, at parts in, in the song. And, um, but she was excellent at that too. And people would, would really like weep when she would sing the song because she was so, you know, connected to it. Uh, I wonder how she felt when they cried because she didn't like it, but, but, uh, but she was excellent at both. You know, she was really very good at both. Um, in her personal life, she, before Nick Arnstein came along, who's, you know, the, 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 the paramour that we know quite a bit about, uh, which we'll get more into, but, um, she was married to a barber named Frank White. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people that might burst their funny girl bubble. So it's, totally cool. If I can live dividing the reality from, from the show, you can do. Don't worry. But she was married to uh, this barber called Frank White. And Frank White was, I think, um, she said something like, I married Frank because he smelled so good. I married Nick because he looked so good. And I married Billy, Billy Rose, because he thought so good. Okay. So I think Frank was this good looking, charming barber who obviously smelled good. <laughs> and, um, they, she, he proposed to her, um, he proposed to her pretty quickly. Um, and, um, she didn't know a lot about him. She was 18 or so at the time. And I think she, at that period of time, they were like, well, you better, you better get married. Who knows if it's going to happen now? And she, she said, okay. And she married him. She didn't really know him. Uh, she met him when she was on the road doing a show. And she, her mother kept saying, just just annul this marriage. This is ridiculous. You don't even know this guy. You know, you're not that interested in him. You know, just annul it, you know, whatever. They, they were barely a couple. So anyway, then she meets Nick one night. Uh, Nick Arnstein's full name was Jules 
Arnstein. His nickname was Nicky, uh, which had something to do with nickels and something to do with money. Uh, it's not totally clear where it comes from. I've seen a few different sources. Um, but she meets she meets Nick Arnstein when um, she and her friend were uh, at a hotel one night. And I think her friend was interested in Nick's friend. And she kind of went as a wingman. And, um, so the whole night, the four of them were just hanging out in this hotel suite, uh, which, which later became, becomes the inspiration for the setting of the scene of you are woman, I am man. Mm -hmm. Um, and they meet in this hotel suite and Nick wasn't super interested in her in the beginning. Um, but she was so funny and charming that, you know, he really started to like her. And uh, there was a little caveat at the time. Again, I'm not trying to, to burst anybody's funny roll bubble. Uh, Nick was still married at that time. Mm. Uh, I don't really think it was like a solid marriage, but he was still married. Yeah. And she didn't know at first, but she was like so gaga in love with him that uh, it didn't matter when he did tell her, she kind of was okay with it. And she was like, okay, we'll get, you'll get divorced. And, and, but, and he did, and you know, and we'll, we'll be together. Uh, she stays with Nick. What we see of Nick Arnstein in the musical, uh, is the best ever version of Nick Arnstein you could ever see. Okay? We have to like him, right? <laughs> we have to like him. And to me, I have to tell you, I'm such, I'm so loyal to, to, uh, to the, the play and the movie that it does, even though I know all this, it somehow doesn't bother me. I see them as two separate stories, you know? Mm. So, uh, so we have to love Nick and don't forget that. Uh, and I guess we'll, we could talk about this more in the making of the show. This was conceptualized this show by Fanny's real life daughter, who was Francis Arnstein Stark married to the big producer, Ray Stark. Okay. So when you are creating a movie about your parents falling in love and their life together, and it's a father that you adored, you're probably not going to show certain things. And, and like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's quite important to the plot that we really like Nick and that we feel that they genuinely are, are into each other. Nick was a very big gambler and Nick spent a lot of time in jail, a lot of time in jail. Uh, they, in fact, they actually had two kids together. They had Francis, who everybody knows because she's a character in, in the show, but they actually had also a son named William. William is never mentioned in the show, the movie, or in the uh, film sequel, Funny Lady. He does not appear as a character. I have a feeling it was just sort of easier for the plot. I don't think there was any sort of malintent. I think, uh, I think Francis and William had a good relationship from, from what I understand, but Nick was not, um, the most faithful of guys, but he also was so weird how he would do things. Um, he would, you know, he would go out, they were having a party at, at the house in Long Island that I have, you know, visited. And, um, it's such a crazy story there. They have all these people over, you know, Fanny, after she would go to the theater, um, would have people come back to her house in Huntington, Long Island. Okay. So about an hour from the city. And I don't even know how long it took them because I don't know where their highways at that point. I'm not really sure. We're talking about, you know, the 1920s and, uh, she would have all these huge major actors come back to her house in Huntington and stay till three or four in the morning and have these huge, great parties. And her kids loved it. Um, but anyway, they entertained a lot, Nikki and Fanny. And so 
one day, <laughs> it was like the middle of the day, and they lived in this area uh, that was right near the water. Uh, and um, he says, uh, Fanny, I'm going to, I'm going to get a boat for our guests. And she's like, oh, that's a wonderful idea, Nick. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go to the marina. Okay. He doesn't come back for two days. He just like disappears. I don't know where he went. She didn't know where he went. It is, I mean, the stories are, that's just a, a sliver, but the stories are bonkers about their relationship. I mean, they, you know, they literally had those, you know, like the Cole Porter lyric, the conversation with the flying plates that once happened with them. She talks about a story where she threw a plate and it went through a window. Their, their um, Manhattan uh, uh, townhouse, it went through the window and it was such a clean break that the window didn't even break. Like wow. it just sliced right through. So I'm sorry, this is sounding so abusive and terrible. You just, for some reason, you don't see it that way. You're like, this, I don't want to be in this relationship, but every all the parties seem right. to have agreed to this. So it's, you know, there was never any physical, you know, physical, I need to, you know, put that forward. Okay, I'm going to rewind and make this happier. So, um, but they, they really were in love with each other. I think he really wanted her, you know, I read in a book um, where uh, there were people that were interviewed after her death, actually, of uh, the people that were in her life. Um, he, he claimed in that book that if she had been a housewife, he, he thinks they would have made it. And I think that that part of the show is true that he could not compete with, um, you know, with, with that part of her life. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, the world adored her and, and, you know, that was very difficult for him. And I think, you know, for another man, it wouldn't have been, but I think for the kind of person Nick was, he, he couldn't handle that. Um, so yeah, so that, and then she goes along, uh, marries Billy Rose, uh, which is covered in the movie Funny Lady. And um, Billy was a composer. Uh, Billy is uh, uh, wrote songs like uh, "Me and My Shadow," and he wrote uh, uh, "If You Want a Rainbow, You Must Have the Rain." He wrote "More Than You Know," uh, so a lot of um, a lot of jazz standards and and classics that that he wrote, and they really became very good friends. I think she really respected his talent and he hers. Um, I don't know that they ever reached that level of, you know, love that like she had for Nick. I think she really, really loved Nick. And, uh, and actually Fanny Bryce has a quote that, which is, I, I never liked any of the men I loved and I never loved any of the men I liked. Yeah. It is interesting in the, you know, in the show. Yeah. As I said, like you have to like this character. So like what aspects, I mean, I still watch the show and I'm like this, you know, I still say like, oh, this, this guy is bad news. Like even the mom knows. Yes. But, um, so it's interesting, like what aspects of the real person do you bring, do you leave in, which do you mm -hmm. leave out to kind of like create that, that balance? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really good point. Uh, and, you know, it's funny that you say that, that, you know, even the mom uh, sees it because she, she, she does see it. Um, but it's interesting. I think that, um, yeah, this, yeah, people tell her, you know, he's a gambler and he's a this and, and the mom, you know, and the mom I think has a great line. Uh, I think I, Fanny says to her mom, you know, he's a gentleman, a gentleman fits in any place. And Rose says a sponge fits in any place. Yeah, it's, it's such a great line. It's such a great line. It's true. 
it's absolutely true. And uh, so they do, they do warn her. They do warn her uh, in the show. I, I, I yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but they do play it up as this, and I'm sure it was, you know, this great love so that, so that we're on their side, you know, mm-hmm. so that, so that this, you know, it's still this, this timeless show and, and people talk about it. And I think those relationships resonate because there are a lot of relationships like that, you know, people I know be, you know, in relationships where it's like, this may be a bad idea, <laughs> but like there's, there's something there. So I have to pursue this to the detriment of maybe other things in my life and myself. It's true. You're, you're totally right. It does happen all the time. Yeah. So let's um, get more yeah. into like the, the history of the, the show itself. Now that we, sure. now I know yeah. more about the real history. Yeah. So yeah, so they, as you mentioned, they they had these the interviews with uh, Fanny Bryce. So was that the that was the source material, I guess, that they used? Yes. So they used this source material, this uh, this very large stack of papers uh, that you have to go to the special room at uh, the public library for. It's like it's you know very serious, uh, and it's interesting because you see people have written things on it, you know, mm. uh, that they use for the musical. But yes, that is that is probably the primary source of, of the material that they do use for for Funny Girl. And, and interestingly, um, the notes ring more true in the movie of Funny Lady, actually. Mm. A lot of Funny Lady really draws back to those notes, the people that she mentions and the instances she goes through and the whole, uh, the whole part of her life when Nick tries to come back. I mean, that all happened. Um, so, um, who was like, let's do a musical of Fanny Bryce and let's interview her and get mm-hmm. these, <laughs> and get these sources. So, right. So at the beginning, you know, they, they did this interview and, um, it was not meant to be for a show. I think it was meant to be, be for a book, possibly. Uh, it was meant to, you know, that I don't, you know, because Fanny died um, unexpectedly. She died in 1951. She was almost 60. She was a few months short of 60. She had a stroke. And um, uh, so she, uh, so, so it wasn't one of those things where they're like, oh, we better get all the info. Who knows how long she'll, you know, she'll be around. She was, you know, she, I think she had some, um, she had had some heart issues at different points in her life, but, um, but, but nothing that was so serious. And so, um, so yeah, so, uh, so it was just, they sort of were just collecting history from her and it was really only after her death that, um, her daughter and son-in-law said, you know, let's revisit these papers. And Ray Stark at that point was a, was a huge producer, uh, and, and, you know, and so they said, you know, let's, let's see if we can, let's make this into a show. Um, and I also, you know, around that time, you know, Gypsy had just happened. And so I think the, uh, you know, the, the biography musical was sort of becoming a thing mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Uh, Cause we're, you know, the, the actual show debuted in 1964. Uh, Gypsy was 59, I believe. Um, so um so yeah, and actually Gypsy Rosalie and Fanny Bryce were friends, by the way. Oh. So, yeah, they were friends. They used to paint a lot together and hang out and 
yeah never so. know there's gonna be great musicals about us <laughs> i know right i was just like like they had no idea that two, two of the hugest musicals of the 20th century were gonna be about <laughs> these two people they weren't really sure who was going to be the right composer for it. They actually shopped it around for a while. And, you know, they were, I think they were pretty sure that they wanted Julie Stein to do the, to do the music um, since he had been so successful with Gypsy. And they had spoken to Stephen Sondheim about doing the lyrics for Funny Girl. And he was thinking about it for a long time. And then eventually he just didn't feel he was right for the project. And he, he bowed out. And they wound up using the lyricist Bob Merrill instead to 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 do the lyrics um, to do the lyrics for it. And what happened was then you know in this time of sort of it having this identity crisis of who's going to be at the helm of this, how are we going to make this into you know a big a big show? Um, which really, I, I, it wasn't. Uh, it certainly wasn't a vanity project because you know. Um, Fanny Bryce was this big talent of, of, you know, the early 20th century. But if her daughter were not married to Ray Stark, I do not think we would be having this discussion right now. Um, so, so I really think it was one of those things where she said, my mother has a legacy. I wanted to, 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 to go on. And so that, and so they had this paperwork and, you know, um, you know, besides just people who knew her and they, they put together this musical. So, so Bob Merrill, was uh, the lyricist that was chosen to do it with Julie Stein. Uh, before that, when they were looking at Sondheim, uh, he had said they were starting to entertain um, very big names like Mary Martin and Anne Bancroft, uh, Carol Burnett were all being considered for this show. And Stephen Sondheim said, you can't have a non-Jewish actress play Fanny Bryce. Uh, there have been many non-Jewish actresses who have played her, but he said, I, I do not think, you know, basically the role could be originated by somebody who's not Jewish. I think you need somebody who is right. um, to give it that, you know, polish of, you know, I guess, authenticity. They had considered actually um, Edie Gourmet because of that. Hmm. Edie Gourmet, you know, a Jewish singer, but she said, I will only do this play if you cast my husband, Steve Lawrence, as Nick Arnstein. And they were like, no, we're not doing that. Because they didn't want it to be Steve and Edie as right. Fanny and Nikki. They wanted people to really, you know, uh, absorb themselves in, in the show. And Bancroft had dated Bob Merrill, the lyricist, and uh -huh. it had ended very badly. <laughs> So they, that was not going to work out. And Sondheim said to them, you, you guys, you have to stop entertaining, you know, non-Jewish actresses. I really think you have to be more serious about this. And Streisand was a dark horse, essentially. Mm -hmm. She was known for singing, you know, at the Bonsoir. Uh, she was uh, known for singing at the Village Vanguard. And she had done that, uh, the small role of uh, Miss Marmalstein and I can get a free wholesale. But Frances, uh, Fanny Bryce's real daughter, was uh, not thrilled about Barbara as, as, as the choice. She had a very, I think, particular image of her mother. And I think she felt Barbara was too, um, 
I feel weird even saying Barbara, like she's such a big presence. I want to say just Miss Streisand. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> no, but I, no, but, um, but basically, you know, I think they, she felt Barbara Streisand was too, um, quirky honestly she you know because especially in Streisand's career when she was younger you know she was known for being a lot more like uh you know outlandish if you read her early playbill bios for I can get a free wholesale she says things like um uh I think it says born in Madagascar and reared in Rangoon okay like she (laughs) So she really was out there. And it's so funny because, I mean, to me, look, I'm the outsider. I'm not Francis Arnstein Stark, but um, to the outsider, you'd think, well, you know, she's a little outlandish. You know, she's a little, she's a little eccentric. Isn't she perfect for Fanny Bryce then? You know, who was this comedian? And, you know, so, um, but she really came in as a dark horse. And finally, uh, they convinced Francis that, Barbara was the right choice. One thing I'm wondering about, maybe you have some insight on this, is the whole, um, like, there's so much in the musical and the movie about Fanny's looks and, like, how Mm -hmm. she's, you know, not beautiful, how she has the, you know, nose and, you know, there's there's so much talk about that. Was that based on, like, Fanny Bryce, the real person and that journey, or because that also seems like something that's very part of the culture in the 1960s as well, or was that fictionalized? No, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, that actually was, was, uh, quite true. Uh, unfortunately she was openly, and she even discusses it in, in the paperwork, um, that she was known as not pretty. I mean, like she was, it was, they just called her not pretty and she sort of was lucky. She was funny and she could sing well. And I don't mean lucky that I think, oh, you know, whatever. But at the time, you know, um, if you didn't have a particular look, you know, a lot of places were not very interested in you. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was so gifted comedically that, um, that she was able to, to, to get work always. Um, But they even would make fun of her looks in skits that she was in. Hmm. Um, they, you know, it was not only that, this is, this is really em- emblematic of, of that time. Um, you're right. They, there's the whole song in funny girl. If a girl isn't pretty, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. and this gets into the whole, like, do you need to cast somebody Jewish thing? But because right. the, the looks the question of her looks is not just that she's not pretty, that it's like based on a certain, like we don't like the looks of, uh, you know, Jewish women (laughs) at that time with the nose. And she refers to like my nose, like my American beauty nose in the song. It is sort of direct, but not direct (laughs) in the musical, but just the way it's referred to. So you have, I think you have that as well. And I was just listening to an interview with Harvey, Fe- Harvey Firestein, where um, he was saying like, when he was growing up, you know, in Brooklyn, like you, like somebody who was Jewish and looked Jewish, like, forget it, you were not going to be going into show business, at least in a mainstream show business, I guess the Yiddish theater when, you know, was a thing. But yeah, and so like, there was that attitude. And then I guess you have more like, how Fanny Bryce was and Barbara Streisand also was someone who like broke that mold, broke that idea in a way. 
Yeah. Um, so she, she, you know, she was definitely uh, an outsider, Fanny, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that she had a lot of perseverance and a lot of um, authenticity to her that made people love that difference in her and, and, and you know, embrace that. But yeah, that, so I, it's interesting to me that they added the, the whole Henry Street uh, aspect for the show because um, that seems such like, I, I guess that's a big, di- that's a big difference from her life, her actual life in the show. And that seems such like a foundation for her character in the show. Like she comes from, this is the place I come from um, when she is, you know, with Nick and is, you know, wants to get married. It's like this pull of like, well, this is where I come from. Like I come from a place where like Henry Street, where people get married, you know, it's it's so interesting to me that that was made up, but it's it's it seems like a good a good choice given what they did with it in the show. Yes, absolutely, and uh, and it's funny because even though she came from um, that she had some money, you know, she wasn't you know super you know super wealthy, but her family uh, she'd been to Europe a bunch of times as mm-hmm. a youth. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously they went on boats, you know. I mean, she. You know, so she wasn't sheltered really right. uh, at all. Uh, whereas, you know, the way that she's portrayed in the show, I think, I, I think that really came from them wanting to create the more um, typical Jewish American experience. You know, which was, you know, Ellis Island going to Lower East Side, trying to make a life for yourself. Uh, you know, coming from there. Um, but you're right. Yes, I love that uh, scene uh, where she says, you know. I went to practically no schools. You went to good schools, you know, whatever. Uh, and then she's trying to convince him to ask, um, to ask him. Uh, she wants him to ask her to marry him. And yeah. so, uh, so and she's like, you know, they say uh, where I come from, if two people love each other, if one of them says to the other, why don't we get married? You know, whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah it creates yeah. like um, something I wish they brought out more in the musical, actually, which is like it creates this tension between like, this is where I yeah. come from and this is where I want to go. Like, I, I, I you know, I want to be this, you know, big star. I want to be on the stage. I want to do all these right. things. But I also have this like want that I want to like marry and have kids and, you know, live that that kind of life. So it's like this, you know, this great tension that, um yeah, that, I mean, it's in the show. I just, I, part of me wishes it was more like directly addressed, you know, right. for, for Fanny and her character. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Especially since she's somebody who uh, in real life and in, and in the character, as she gets more successful, uh, really loves, you know, her furs and, and her, you know, her nice clothes. And it's, it's this, long you know climb and and you know the and the show starts in flashback you know mm-hmm. when she's you know telling mrs Straykosh that things turned out okay for her you know so um yeah so you, you're right though that would have been interesting for for them to to explore that more uh in terms of the the you know her struggle between where is she coming from where is she going uh, yeah, yeah. Those, and and also just those conflicting ones like what does it mean right. to be a, to be a star on the stage what does it mean to like want this, you know, home life? To me, when I saw the show recently, I was like, wow, the show really kind of is 
about that. That's one of its themes, at least, like, in a way. At least the first half of the first act is her, like, I want to be a star. I've always wanted to be on stage. Like, that's the main thing. And then, you know, Nick comes in and creates a different story. But she's never, until that part, she's never like, I want to... I want to settle down too. Like until Nick enters the picture, it's, it's just, I want to be on stage. I'm like, I don't, it, it almost is like, I don't really fit into Henry street. Like I don't really fit into right. this place, you know, just go, go, go until I get what I wanted, where I want to get. And then yeah. the conflict comes in. So I don't know, like there could have, I, I think there could have been more there maybe. Or maybe that's just what I'm projecting. Like what, what I want to see. Are there any other major um, deviations from real life that we, that musical tackles that we want to address? So like I said, Funny Lady is a little more historically accurate uh, in terms of uh, her life and who she was with. You know, the character that she uh, is friends with in Funny Lady, um, Bobby is very similar to uh, to a, a guy she was very good friends with in real life uh, who was who was gay like the character Bobby and um, it was and and like and just you know traveled with her a lot hung out with her a lot you know whatever uh, but in the in the in the show Funny Girl there's the character of Eddie which just like doesn't really resemble anybody who was in her life uh, but but the main the main differences were you know this was not her first marriage. Um, she, um, she had two children that the problems in their marriage were not the way the show or the movie would have you believe were really just based on his jealousy and his difficulty accepting. That was a big part of their relationship, but unfortunately he was unfaithful and unfortunately had a bunch of run-ins with the law. It was not, you know, this one bad deal that happened or, you know, whatever. For the most part, I think they do encapsulate uh, her. You know, she was very brash. She was very funny. She fought to get what she wanted um, and uh, did not suffer fools gladly at all. Mm -hmm. So um, I know we wanted to talk about the kind of legacy of Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl and like just mm -hmm. all the uh, comedians, comedic actresses that the movie... And the, and the real life person may have inspired. I do think Elaine Stritch was somewhat inspired by Fanny Bryce. I, I know in her one woman show, she does mention her at one point. Um, in terms of the Fanny Bryce we're talking about, of the funny girl Fanny Bryce. Mm -hmm. um, this movie, I, I say movie because I think most people saw it as the movie first. But yeah. this show slash movie, okay, was so influential um, for so many actors that you would not expect. For example, um, mostly, you know, female actresses who are comedic actresses, um, including me, no. But, uh, but um, um, so, uh, so Julia Louis-Dreyfus was, uh, when she was young, and actually you can see this on her Inside the Actress Studio, um, she saw Funny Girl as the movie, and wanted to become best friends with Barbra Streisand and like just was so inspired by her and just like took that all in and became a comedic actress. Uh, Fran Drescher, hugely inspired by, by, by the movie. In fact, you know, there are so many references. If you are a fan of um, The Nanny, 
they they throw funny girl references in all the time. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher, if you see uh, the documentary that was about her and Debbie Reynolds, uh, that that unfortunately came out shortly after they both passed right. away. There is a part of it where she is watching Funny Girl and is just like talking about how in awe she is mm-hmm. of it. Uh, somebody like Rosie O'Donnell, I don't think is a secret to anybody. I mean, it's it, the list is is enormous. She is a very pervasive character, and I think I think because she, you know, to the point that you were saying earlier, I think she gave a voice to outsiders. I think that her looks and you know they comment you know and like you said she focuses on her nose and her jewishness and her you know that she's not like everybody else she's always being told you're you're an outsider there's this great line in the show um that eddie sings to her it's not in the movie it's in the show that he sings at the end of it if a girl isn't pretty he says everything you've got about right but the damn thing don't come out right okay so it's like it's like all the pieces are there, but nobody knew what to do with her, kind of. And I, I do think that that role gave a voice to, to, to you know, to all those people who felt like, how, how am I going to be what I want and do what I, where, where is this place for me, you know? Um, and so she, she's sort of, you know, emblematic of, of outsiders and, and funny women, uh, which I, I don't think there can ever be uh, enough of a discussion about that. Um, personally, uh, you know, I think, I think even now as progressive as things are in some ways, you know, we still have a a ways to go, of course, but, um, I still think funny women are still something that I I still think a lot of, of people are surprised when, when a woman is, is funny, which is so strange to me. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like a triumph of, of funny women also. It's like, not like she knows like what's going to happen if she stands up there and says I'm pretty like not like and so yeah. she she changes she makes it like something that they're gonna laugh as she says like laugh with me you know like I'm going to make it exactly. you know something that works for me anyway and she gets the the handsome guy she gets the guy <laughs> It's, I mean, listen, I don't think it's a mystery why, including myself, as so many comedic women love this story. I mean, you know, it's, it's she's funny and she gets the, the guy. Wow. You know, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. That, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. Usually when you're funny, you're the, you know, you're playing the, the funny sidekick to the ingenue, right. you know, the, the show does not end in the happiest way. Uh, it's not an unhappy ending, you know, she, she perseveres, it, it really, you know, the, sh- um, in the end, and that's how she was as, as a person, mm-hmm. you know, very, very strong, very self-reliant and very talented. So she, you know, was always, um, um, so she just, you know, she did what was right for the stage, you know, uh, and, and for herself. And I think, you know, that really translates yeah so let's talk about um the songs i'm woman you are man i'm saying that right right <laughs> i uh, you you are woman i am man yeah, okay you are yeah, woman yeah. i am man yes uh and don't rain on my parade for the uh why is this so good section so yeah why did you pick these songs for why is this so good and we're doing two because they're kind of like together <laughs> Yes. Uh, number one, I'm terrible at making one selection. Number two, <laughs> number two, I, I genuinely feel they feed into each other. And it's mm-hmm. such a pivotal moment in the show. 
really brief uh, addition to you are woman that I, I should mention is so uh, you are woman. I am man uh, is a duet. Uh, it's really not a duet in, in a traditional sense because it's uh, Nick is being very forthright with his words and what he, you know, that he's attracted to her and he's, you know, is, is attempting to seduce her. Uh, but Fanny, a lot of her words in the duet are in her head, right? Mm. And interestingly, uh, initially the song was only supposed to be Nick's song. And it was supposed to just be him saying, you know, and if you think about it now, oh my God, could you imagine if the song was just him saying, you're a woman, I'm man. Let's and kiss. let's kiss. <laughs> right, let's exactly. Like, oh my God, I can't even imagine. But Jerome Robbins, who they brought in for a while to be the director, he was not the final director of the project. That was Garson Kanan in the end. Um, but um, they, this, the, the show had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, moving around for the time that Jerome Robbins came in. Um, he said, we don't know what she's thinking in this scene. He said, she, he's singing to her. He's seducing her and whatever. We have no idea what she's thinking. And he said to, you know, Bob Merrill and Julius, then you have to write Fanny's point of view in the song. And they did. And that is to me, why the song works. You are woman. I am man, you are smaller, so I can be taller than, you are softer to the touch, it's a feeling I like, feeling very much, you are someone I've admired Still our friendship Believes something to be desired Does it take more explanation than this? You are woman, I am man Let's kiss of nonchalance furnishing a bed in restaurants well a bit of dinner never heard but guess who is gonna be dessert do good girls do just what mama says when mama's not around it's a feeling oy vey, what a feeling a bit of pate and it's so good because uh, it's 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 such a private authentic song i think besides the fact that it's very funny you know her reactions are fabulous in in, in that you know it's like she's nervous but she's also excited and she's a, you know she's attracted to him but she's also like oh what do i do i don't you whatever um it's so real you see the inside and outside of fanny's thoughts it's it's a very big moment of of growth i think for the character um you know even though this relationship is doomed um i think it's a very big moment because like you said it's actually kind of um what you said about the struggle earlier about 
she kept, kept wanting the stage and she only thinks about the stage and that's all she wants. And then she meets this guy and she's like, whoa, you know, there's this, there's this great line actually in the scene right before they sing it. And um, she says to him, you don't, you don't have to do a leading lady dialogue with me. I'm a comic. And he mm-hmm. says to her on stage and she says, well, that's where I live on stage. And he says to her right after that, then you're missing too much. So I feel like that dialogue alone sort of goes along with the conflict that you were saying you would have liked to have seen more of, mm-hmm. you know, come from come from the character. Um, and it's true because I think she loves the stage and that's genuinely a part of her. But she also wants somebody who will love her and who she loves and she can have a life with. Um, and this is the first time she's ever paid attention to that. Yeah. And it's interesting you say like that they didn't have her perspective at first. Cause yeah, it really like, it's cool to have her come in there because she's still so very much herself. Like even in, like even in this moment where he's like seducing her and kind of like, like, don't think about anything else. She, she goes into this next moment, which we'll then talk about where she like, uh, leaves, her show to like go follow him but like even in these moments you know she's still gonna be herself throughout like she's never gonna even in this bad relationship she never loses herself to him right exactly exactly uh that's so perfectly said and and i think that's so emblematic of the character i think it's so you know emblematic of 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 the story and and the success behind the show. You know, I do know that there's criticism of the book. I know that uh, there's been criticism of the book for years, and that's why they brought Harvey Firestein in to sort of, you know, play with it a little before the, the recent revival. I happen to like the book. Um, I actually, I, it's it's not perfect. No book is. Um, but I, I happen to really like it. Um, and I, I think that, you know, Streisand just knew exactly how to, you know, make all the material work but I yes I love that she's still herself she's still funny in that scene Mm -hmm. she is being seduced and she likes it and she likes being there but she's also having all these thoughts it's like you know it's the real inner monologue that I really don't think you get to see that often some of the internal monologue where she's you know would a convent take a Jewish girl he actually she that's actually visibly out loud in front of Nick that line (laughs) and he love he loves that though you know he's he finds that funny and interesting about her you know so she can be herself around him I feel that there's a fire here try that once a little higher dear what a beast to ruin such a pearl would a convent take a Jewish girl does it take more explanation than this ooh the thrills and chills going through me if I stop him now can he sue me you are So then they have that that night the that moves into yeah. uh there he's gonna go off to go uh to Europe for a while and she has to go to Chicago with the show 
they're at the mm-hmm. train station and she's like, you know what? I'm not going to Chicago. I'm going to Europe. And then right. we get the next song. <laughs> right. Yes, you may have heard of this really insignificant song <laughs> called Don't Rain on My Parade. I'm sure no one's ever heard of it before. Um, so yes, yeah, so then we get into Don't Rain on My Parade. And this is Fanny's moment to really, you know, this is this this is her conflict. I mean, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, what you were saying before, what is a sort of a difficult uh, moment to show in life that you can see in a musical? I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this is like, you know, um, that she's pulling away from all these things that she knows she's not losing herself, but she's choosing real life over the theater at this mm-hmm. moment. I mean, besides the fact that it's, you know, the, the, the music starts playing and it's so addictive sounding just from the get go. It's just, you know, the, before, you know, a word is spoken, you're, you're in, you know, it's just so powerful. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't tell me not to fly, I simply got to. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? I, I think it's I think it's the moment where Fanny feels like she can have everything she wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's such a powerful moment because as much as that may or may not last, and we do know it doesn't, but she's she's a star. She, you know, is is loved by you know uh, strangers and and uh, friends and lovers alike, and uh, she and she also finally got this great guy that that wants to be with her, and she's like, I'm not you know, I, I, I've given up my life for the theater and I love it. She even says that to Ziegfeld beforehand. Um, she's like, I, I love it. But she says, but you can't take an audience home with you. Mm-hmm. And she, she's right. And she feels much like the rest of the show. She's like, you're not going to tell me what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Because I had only watched like up until she meets Nick. <laughs> like up- Right. So like, I never realized until I saw the show that it actually was about like her going after him. Uh, and I was like, wow, I, I always just thought it was just this, this song about like, like, I, I guess I just some general, like, I'm just going to get what I want. I, I guess I figured it was about like showbiz or something. Like, I'm going to get the yeah. part or, you know, whatever. You're right. Like, it almost feels like she's giving something up. Like, I'm not going to Chicago. What you can't, but she's not right. giving anything up really. She's just like, I'm going to do this my way. Like, I'm going to, like, set my own rules. Like, I'm just not going to go to Chicago, but I'll come back and I'll do the show again. Like, (laughs) just going to do what I want. Exactly. Um, And I have enough power to do that. She also doesn't know what's going to happen when she gets there. So there is some, like, vulnerability in the song, too. It's not, like, completely, like you know, I'm going to do this and get everything. And like, that's it. There's a lot of like, and I think the movie, the movie has that image of her, like on that little tugboat, which I think is so hilarious. Like, but so like, 
I'm doing like I'm ending this big song, but like I'm on this little I'm on this little tugboat. I know. Um, which is kind of like the, the like a great visual for there's something not quite big and powerful about this. <laughs> it's true i've actually that's so funny i've never thought of that before but you're right it's this little little boat i've never thought of it that way (laughs) everybody loves this song and to sing this song and to like what do you think is it is about this song i i think it's a song for believers i think it's a song for dreamers i think it's a song that tells you to to keep going no matter what, you know, there's literally, you know, if someone takes a spill, it's me and not you like, don't, you know, don't, don't concern yourself so much with what I'm doing. You know, I, this is my choice, man. No one can tell you what your life is. You, you make that choice. And she knows, she knows that they're not on board. Uh, all these people in her life, they're all like, don't go, you know, he's a gambler and, and Ziegfeld saying, no, you can't just leave the show on the road. Oh, how are you doing this? You know, whatever. She's like, yeah, no, 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 I'm gonna do this. Yeah, it's about listening to what you want. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, listening to yourself. Uh, I mean, I've never attempted to sing this song, but it seems like mm-hmm. a very difficult song to sing. <laughs> just the way it goes. I, also, I mean, yeah. as a listener, I just love like how it. It's kind of like going like yes. all over the place a little bit. Like it's it, not all over the place, but like unexpectedly, it's either going up or down. Like you expect it to go down there. It's going up, you know. But whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection or freckle on the nose of life's complexion, the cinder or the shiny apple of its heart. I'm a comer. I simply gotta march. My heart's a drummer. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Uh, the, the words have tremendous power, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, you know, such a lyric nerd. But uh, I do think, you know, Julie Stein had this way of creating music, mm-hmm. and you're going on on the journey right. with her. Like, you know, what, literally. What's she gonna do next? <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it, it's it's interesting that um, how a song can say so upbeat when the first word of it is so sharply don't. But I mean, also, I mean, the song is starting in a place of conflict. Like she's there with those, uh, you know, other women from the show. And it's like, it's so sharply. Mm-hmm. It's, it is you hold that don't, you know, not hold, but you say, you know, it's the don't, there's no way you're, you're gliding over that word, you know. Get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comma. I simply gotta march my heart to drama, nobody, no, nobody is gonna read on my Well, let's move on to our final section. Cool. Something wonderful. And this is just like a, uh, you know, something in musical theater, either a show or a, could be like a, 
a book event, you know, something, something in mm -hmm. musical theater that we are excited about or want to give a shout out to. It's not anything coming up, but it's just something I love um, in musical theater. I am such a fan of a lot of the lesser known uh, Kander and Ed musicals. Mm -hmm. I, oh my God, I love shows like, you know, Woman of the Year, The Rink, The Act, Zorba, 70 Girl 70. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think that, um, you know, obviously we, we know them for Chicago and Cabaret and all the wonderful things that they created. Um, I, I love it. Even, um, you know, Steel Pier. Oh my God. I love the music from Steel Pier. I actually, years ago, I got to do the song Everybody's Girl and it's still one of my audition songs because it's so fabulous. Yeah. Have you read the book, um, Colored Lights? They're like, it's, a no. oh, I really recommend it. We had to read it yeah. for, um, it was like part of recommended reading for my grad program, but it's like interviews with Candor and Ebb and it goes through like their shows. And it's basically just about like how they collaborate. Um, but it, it, it like touches on all their shows. So uh, yeah. it's a, it's really uh, just like a good window into their process. And for me at the time, it's how I learned about all their, <laughs> all their other shows. Wow. But, okay. Yeah. I'm going to add, um, uh I'm going to go to Amazon after we stop talking. I'm going to go look for it. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scene song and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scene to song.substack.com and contribute on the new Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald and be sure to check back in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>